Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. We're going to return to the book of Philippians this morning. The book of Philippians, and as we had stated the last time I was in the pulpit, we actually finished chapter 1, and we're moving into chapter But we're going to go back to chapter 1 for just a minute because the chapter divisions in a number of texts in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, are very arbitrary. Um, Understand that when the texts of Scripture were written by the various authors, they were written like letters, uh, letters to individuals. Even the narratives that you have in the Old Testament, Mosaic uh, writings, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, were written like letters. They were uh, broken into paragraphs, and each paragraph, as you write a letter, has its own unique thought or maybe focus or emphasis. That's how the New Testament was written as well. Later on down the road, a couple of hundred years after uh, the New Testament canon had been completed, the Old Testament canon had been completed, there were those divines, those preachers, those priests who came along and for convenience sake broke the texts up in chapters and in verses. So you would have easy access in referencing passages as you go through the Bible. And some of those, again, uh, are rather arbitrary. Uh, Where you have a chapter 1 and then a chapter 2, sometimes you shouldn't have the chapter 2 because the thought continues on from chapter 1. Well, that's the case here this morning. So we're going to go back to chapter 1, verse 27, and we're going to read through chapter 2, verse 4, because it is a unique unit that brings us into a specific topic that the Apostle Paul wanted to convey to the church at Philippi. So stand once again with me in honor of God's Word as we begin in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind." Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, 
But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord, and we pray his blessing upon the reading of the word. You may be seated. <coughs> now, if I cough a bit or two, don't get alarmed. Um, I have no symptoms of COVID. We're completely beyond that now. It's just taking a little while to get my voice back. Um, so, I'm up here and you're down there. It's not going to reach you anyway. So, we're not going to worry about it. Understand that Philippi was a military colony. A military, a Roman military colony that was a, a, a town that was completely devoted to the Roman emperor. You have to bear that in mind. A town that was completely devoted to the Roman emperor. At this particular time, Emperor Claudius. It was the home of a military base that housed hundreds of Roman soldiers and uh, soldiers that active soldiers and those that have retired from the military, much like our church was, our community was, back when uh, Castle Air Force Base was active. We had uh, a lot of military people that lived here in town, both active and retired. That was Philippi. The people were ruled by Roman law, and for the most part, they enjoyed Roman culture, and all of the things that um, uh, they would benefit from under uh, the authority of Rome. And they openly declared, openly and publicly declared, the emperor as Lord, Savior, and God. At every opportunity, at every public festival, uh, they were very quick and very uh, willing to declare the emperor as Lord, as Savior, and as God. Much like we do when we gather for a, a ball game or uh, some kind of uh, outdoor activity, we sing the Star Spangled Banner or we pledge the allegiance uh, to the flag. Uh, whenever the Philippians gathered together, the citizens of Philippi gathered together, they were very quick to shout out and proclaim that Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Savior. Caesar is God. Now you can kind of understand the conflict that Christian people would have when they would be out and about in the community and they would declare that Jesus Christ is Lord Jesus Christ is Savior. Jesus Christ is God. And any opportunity that Christian people had at that day and time in that community to declare those things, they would, much to the consternation of the Philippian citizens. And this is uh, what generated a lot of the persecution and the opposition to the gospel that the Apostle Paul talked about in the first part of this letter. And because the Christian community was experiencing uh, persecution for their faith and opposition when they would talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul encouraged the Philippians 
to persevere in their faith. He didn't, he didn't say, y'all now be quiet. You know, don't be so open and, and adamant about it. You know, don't, don't speak above dull roar. No, he said, uh, when you're out and about and, and you're declaring the gospel and you're uh, preaching and teaching uh, uh, under the authority of Jesus Christ and you come to opposition, just persevere. Persevere in your faith. Hang tough. Uh, don't sway to the left or to the right. Don't back down. But continue to persevere in your faith. And he also said that they should think as one. And they should believe as one. Uh, various members of the congregation. He encouraged them to everyone be on the same page. And he also asked them to work together for the advancement of the gospel. Work together. Be equally yoked together for the furtherance of the gospel. That was the first reason that the Apostle Paul encouraged these Philippian Christians to hang in there. There was a second reason that he encouraged them in these things, and it's a more subtle reason, and yet it's still a very major issue and a concern for the church at Philippi. Theologian Gordon Fee called this second subtle issue posturing. Posturing. Now the word posturing simply means conversation and conduct that is subversive, that is hypocritical, and that's intended to mislead people and polarize people. The Philippian church had not experienced dissension and division like other churches that the Apostle Paul wrote letters to, Corinth primarily, but other churches that he had written to where there was division, there were factions, there was dissension in the fellowship. Philippi hadn't experienced that yet, but the Apostle Paul believed they were heading in that direction. They were heading in that direction. And so for this reason, as well as you know, the internal posturing as well as the external persecution, the Apostle Paul called the church to correct its course before the church was ruined. Before they got so far down the road that they, are, they had become salt that has lost its savor. They had become uh, swords that were dull rather than sharp. They had lost they would lose their edge if they did not correct uh, this undercurrent that was beginning to formulate in the church. This concern of his was behind the words that we just read uh, in chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 2, through uh, verse 1 through 4. It's also the uh, behind the words that he uh, spoke in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, that begins, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's also the uh, motive behind the apostle's words as he commended Timothy to the Philippian church in chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, when he said, 
for I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And all of this was precipitated by an argument that was going on in the church that remained unresolved. And you find that in the last chapter, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. As Paul closes out this letter, he says, I implore Euodia, and I implore Suntuke to be of the same mind in the Lord. He said basically the same words in chapter 2, verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now the point that the Apostle Paul was making all through this letter, beginning in chapter 1 and going all the way through the book, is that there is a very real danger in the fellowship of the church when people who are members of that fellowship are not on the same page. When we're not going the same direction. When we don't have the same goal in mind. When one individual believes and says one thing and another individual believes and says another thing, when one individual uh, puts forth their idea of what the church should be about and another individual uh, counters that with their own idea of what the church should really be about. Paul is saying, when we're not like-minded, when we're not of one mind, there is the great potential of division and dissension occurring in the church. And he goes on to tell us in the book that it will ruin the church. It will destroy the church. And we'll get to that here in just a minute. So both of these threats, the external opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the internal disagreement and posturing that caused the Apostle Paul to address the matter of unity in the church. Unity in the church. So I want us to look this morning at the issue because it is a very real threat in every church and even in our church. It is a very real threat. Before we get into the text, I, I want to express to you the difference between unity and uniformity. Unity and uniformity, they're not the same thing. Unity is the state of being one. Many parts together as one. That's unity. Different parts, separate parts, joined together and making a whole. W-H-O-L-E. It means to be united. It's the absence of division. It is oneness of mind and heart and spirit. Uniformity, on the other hand, is the state of being identical. It's the state of sameness. It is uh, the state of existing without variation. The Apostle 
did not call the church to uniformity because that really can't happen in a church. I mean, just look around. There's no one in here that's the same, right? No one here is the same. Now, we do have the same Lord, Jesus Christ, but we have different gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, we look different. We sound different. We have different backgrounds. We have, you know, different looks about us. We're not the same. So the Apostle Paul is not talking about uniformity. He's not calling the church to be uh, every individual be the same as everybody else. But he's calling the church to be united. To be united. To have the same goal. The same motivation. The same desire in their heart and in their spirit. He's calling the church to abandon personal desires and preferences and goals for something that is greater than themselves. And what is greater than my personal goals and my personal desires and my personal preferences? It is the goal of being surrendered to the kingdom of God under the authority of Jesus Christ. That takes precedence over everything that I desire of myself, every goal that I've set for myself, every preference that I have for what I do, is to be surrendered to the kingdom of God under the authority of Jesus Christ. So the church, the Apostle Paul is expressing in so many words, the church experiences unity when each member is willing to conform to the image of Jesus rather than to conform to their own preferences, opinions, and desires. And beloved, that's why unity is such a rare thing in churches today. I remember back in college, studying Baptist history. Southern Baptist history was one of the required courses. And one of the textbooks in that class was Those Battling Baptists. And I thought, that's a rather odd title for a book. But since it was a history of Southern Baptists, uh, it was required, and I found it interesting, much to my dismay, that for the most part, Southern Baptist churches in America start and develop from church splits from individuals in a particular church that don't get along, have a different idea on, thing, on how things should be run, on you know, how, uh, what hymns should be sung, on what instruments should be played, on how the pastor is supposed to comb his hair, and so on and so forth, what the color of the carpet's going to be. And so they, they, they split apart, and uh, a dissenting group goes someplace else and starts a new church. Those battling Baptists. Now, that's not unique with Southern Baptists. There are a lot of churches that do that and a lot of different denominations that do that. But 
Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if the emphasis on who we are as a convention was more of starting and developing new churches because we love Jesus Christ than it would be starting and developing new churches because we don't like each other? But sadly, that's not necessarily our history. And that's why I say that unity is rare in most churches today. So, this morning we're going to take a look at the foundation for unity in the church because that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Look at verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, and then he goes on in verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Now, I want you to note the word if. The word if. It is in a first-class conditional sentence in the Greek, which you don't need to remember or be reminded of, but, uh, but here's the thing. In a first-class conditional sentence, the word if really means since. Here, the word in a first-class conditional sentence means that the condition is assumed to be true. It's assumed to be true. So we would read this verse this way. Therefore, since there is consolation in Christ, since there is comfort of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and mercy, and so on and so on and so on. Now, uh, I, I spoke to one individual a long time ago who, who disagreed that in this first-class conditional, if should not be translated since, it should remain if, but uh, it should have um, some explanation as to the meaning of if. And so I said, all right, um, then let's take it this way. Reading verse 1 again, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, and there is... If any fellowship, uh, if any comfort of love, and there is, if any fellowship of the Spirit, and there is, if any affection and mercy, and there is. It is the condition that is assumed to be true. It's the same thing as saying, well, since. Since this is true, then so on and so forth. So just note that in your mind. It's the same that you have in the temptations of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, if you go back and just take a look at that for a minute, I know it's a sidebar, but, but um, you, you need to... It, it helps you to understand, really, what the temptations are all about. When uh, Jesus went out to the wilderness to be tempted, 
in chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, do you actually think Satan had any question in his mind as to whether or not Jesus was the Son of God? Absolutely not. He knew that he was the Son of God. But this is a first-class conditional sentence, so the if should be since. Since you are the Son of God, then turn these stones to be bread and feed yourself. Okay? Now, there are four conditional classes in the Greek. I'm not going to go through any of that. I just wanted you to understand that what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is something that is assumed to be true. It is something that the Philippian Christians understood to be true. So, the first element of spiritual unity, the first element of spiritual unity in the church is found right here in verse 1. It is consolation in Christ Jesus. Consolation in Christ Jesus. The word consolation is translated in other versions of the Bible as comfort. Comfort. And it means to be strengthened through encouragement. Comfort uh, here is not the same thing that we talk about today. Um, where somebody pities someone who's going through a bad time. No. Comfort is to encourage an individual and by the encouragement to strengthen that individual to, to, to get on with what needs to be uh, done. To encourage a person and to strengthen them in that encouragement in Christ Jesus. Because that's what the Apostle Paul says. Consolation in Christ Jesus. There's a big difference in trying to comfort somebody by putting your arm on their shoulder and patting them on the back and say, there, there, now, things are going to get better. And saying to that same person, the Lord Jesus Christ is in control and the Lord Jesus Christ will see you through. A big difference in consolation for a person who's going through a difficult time. People. Christian and non-Christian. People are always in need of encouragement. Are they not? Are you? I am. I'm always in need of encouragement in the Lord Jesus Christ. And fellow Christians should be willing and ready to share in that encouragement with others. We're encouraged when we're reminded of who Jesus is and all that he has done for us, all that he's done in us and doing in us, and all that he is doing through us. Amen? Is it an encouragement for you to know that Jesus Christ is working in you to fulfill God's will in your life, to make you what God designed you and desires you to be? It's an encouragement for me to be able to look back over my life and to see the hand of God moment by moment, day by day, 
through this event and through that event, through this experience and that experience, to know that God loves me enough that his son Jesus Christ would bother with me as I go through the various phases of life. We're strengthened when we're reminded that the Lord is with us now, right now, this very moment, that he is with us throughout this day, that he is with us until the day that we're called to go home to be with him in glory. We're in renewed in spirit when we're reminded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are lifted up when we're reminded that he hears our prayers for others and that he himself intercedes for us before the throne of God in heaven. These things encourage us. These things strengthen us. These things renew us in spirit. These things lift us up from depression and despair, from uh, frustration and anger and all of the other things that Satan will use to beat us down. It encourages us and reminds us that even though Satan may very well be the Lord of the earth, Jesus Christ is still on the throne in glory. Amen? I may not have suffered for my faith in Jesus as the Philippian Christians suffered for theirs. But over the years, I've experienced heartache and discouragement and disappointment and depression. I've been falsely accused for things that I've not done, and I've been rightly accused for things that I have done. I've been hurt and abandoned by those I thought were friends, attacked by people in the church, threatened by those that I've tried to help. I've wanted to quit the church and the ministry on more than a few occasions. But when I find myself wallowing in self-pity and licking my emotional and mental wounds, I'm encouraged by the words of one of my favorite hymns as it comes to mind and begins to flood my soul. And the words are these. Are your crosses too heavy to carry and burdens too heavy to bear? Are there heartaches and tears and anguish and there's no one who seems to care? Are there shadows of deep disappointment and trusts that have proven untrue? Has the darkness of night settled round you? Has your hope and your faith wavered too? Has the storm overshadowed your sunshine and life lost attraction for you? Have the dreams that you cherished been broken? Is your soul full of bitterness too? Standing somewhere, In the shadows, you'll find Jesus.
He's the friend who always cares and understands. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you will find him. And you will know him by the nail prints in his hands. The greatest ministry we can perform for saint or for sinner is to point them to Jesus and to remind them that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that he rose from the grave for them, has ascended on high to intercede for them, and will one day return to take us home to be with him forever. The second element in this foundation of unity is the comfort of love. That's what the Apostle Paul writes here. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love. Comfort here refers to the gentle and kind persuasion of the love of God. The gentle and the kind persuasion of the love of God, the Father, toward each and every one of us. Now, it is a reference to the love of God because it is situated between our consolation in Christ and our fellowship in the Spirit. And so Paul is focusing the attention of the Philippian Christians on the Holy Trinity, the Godhead, uh, the Christ who not only came, went to the cross to save us and not only the, the Holy Spirit whom the Father has sent to dwell within us, but even the God the Father himself and the expression of God's great love for us, each and every one of us. The love of our Heavenly Father is immeasurable. It is unfathomable. It is eternal. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 34 through 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 34 through 39. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How much does God love you? He loves you that much and more. He loves you that much and more.
God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atonement for sin. That's what the Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. That's how much God loves us. Third, the third element in this foundation is the fellowship of the Spirit. Now the word fellowship means to partner with or to participate with. How does the Holy Spirit partner with you? How does the Holy Spirit partner with us? How are we involved with the Holy Spirit and how is the Holy Spirit involved in us as a church? Well, in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said that He is God living within us. He is God living within us. I will pray, Jesus said to the Father, and He will give you another helper. And that word another means one who is like I am. The Holy Spirit is exactly like Jesus Christ living within us. There are times uh, that I used to think how wonderful it would be to be one of the disciples in the days of Jesus, to be called by Jesus and to walk with him and to talk with him and to experience the things that those disciples experienced. What a wonderful and a glorious thing it would be to have Jesus as a walking, talking companion. Well, dear friends, we do have. We do have Christ living in us through the Holy Spirit. He talks to us. He walks with us. We experience things in Him, and He leads us to experience greater things than we've ever experienced before. He will give you another helper, that He may live with you, abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Not only is He God living in us, but He also intercedes for us. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation? Where you come before the Lord in a crisis situation? You're in your prayer closet and you want to speak to the Lord. You want to express to the Lord uh, your grief, your sorrow, maybe your anger, your frustration, or your joy and your happiness, but you just can't find the words. I'm in that situation quite often. But it's the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says, who takes those desires, takes those longings, takes those yearnings, takes those inexpressible emotions and thoughts and conveys them to the Father in heaven, even though I'm not able to do that verbally on my own. How does the Holy Spirit participate with us, partner with us? He empowers us 
to work together in building up the kingdom of God in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Not everybody in this room has the same spiritual gift or gifts. Some of us do. Many of us don't. But the spiritual gift that God has blessed you with through His Holy Spirit, He has designed specifically for you so that you may find your place as an individual in the fellowship of the saints, every individual differing from everyone else and yet united together by the working of the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's will um, in the specific local church where you happen to be. That's how he participates with us. That's how we participate with him. The fourth and final element in this foundation, ingredient in this foundation, is the affection and mercy. Notice what the Apostle writes. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... And this is directed toward the various individuals in the fellowship. Consolation in Christ Jesus, love of God the Father, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, but here we have affection and mercy, and that is directed to the various members of the church. The phrase means tenderness and a heart of compassion. Tenderness and a heart of compassion. You know what Jesus told the disciples before he left? He said, Hereby shall all men know that you are my disciples. What? By your love one for another. Your love one for another. God's people are to be a people of love, of tenderness, and of compassion toward each other. It follows, does it not? It follows that those who love the Lord God, who commit their life to His Son, Jesus Christ, who surrender to the authority of, and leadership of the Holy Spirit, will demonstrate a tenderness of heart and compassion toward each other. You can't help but express that kind of attitude and action toward brothers and sisters in Christ if you have these attitudes toward God the Father, Christ His Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll close, look with me at verses 17 through 32. Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 17. 
Ephesians chapter 4. So you're in Philippians. You want to turn left and go back to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them. Notice the various references Paul makes to the mind, to the way you think, to your attitudes. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. Paul writes, If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Continuing on. Therefore, to sum up, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need." Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, in a nutshell, these verses are stated very simply in another letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Those who are in Christ Jesus are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. And that was his way of saying in a very short, terse sentence all that he said right here in these sentences. In other words, you're not a pagan, a heathen, you're not an unsaved reprobate like you were when you came before you came to faith in Jesus Christ. So, as a saved, redeemed in the blood of the Lamb, a child of God, act like it. Act like it. Don't act like what you were before Christ. Act like you ought to be in Christ. And so now the Apostle Paul, in conclusion this morning, the Apostle Paul encouraged the members of the Philippian church to persevere in their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a timely word for us. I mean, look at the world that we're living in. Look at the state of confusion. Oh, excuse me, the state of California. Oh, same thing. 
that we're living in. Look at the conflict. Listen to the contradictions that are being told by people who are supposed to be in the know. We're living in the same kind of culture that the Philippian Christians were living in. Now, we're not being persecuted for our faith like they were being persecuted, but they were under the authority of a godless, unconcerned, uncaring government that was self-serving, egocentric, power-mad, Well, that sounds too much like today. And so, the Apostle Paul is encouraging you and me. Stay the course. Stick to it. Persevere in your faith in Jesus Christ. Be one in conscience and conduct. Get on the same page with brothers and sisters under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get on the same page. Establish the same goal that, you, that Christ would have you to reach for. And then work together for the advancement of the gospel based upon your encouragement in Christ Jesus, your love for one another as God has loved you, the partnership of the Holy Spirit who dwells within you and among you, and the love and compassion for each other that you ought to have as followers of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. That's the foundation upon which unity in the church is made and maintained. And I pray... That same foundation will continue to support this church and that we will continue to honor these same principles in our lives here at First Baptist in Winton. Stand with me, if you will, please, David. Come and lead us in a song. The month of Thanksgiving... We enter the week of Thanksgiving. This Thursday we celebrate the day of Thanksgiving. And in all these things, we have the blessed assurance of those in Christ that Jesus is ours. For God so loved the world that he gave and it was finished upon the cross by Christ. We thank him for that. And yet we also know he's a holy God. And we thank him for that, as we go into this week, let's sing and remember these simple but profound truths. Thank you for saving my soul. Thank you for making me whole. Thank you We will pray.
And then um, if you need to go, you're certainly welcome to go. But the rest of us will hang around for a few minutes and conduct quarterly business meeting that should have been done back in October, but Satan interfered with that. So we'll get on with business today. Uh, it, it shouldn't take us very long uh, to conduct our business. And if you did not get a book of reports, they're on the foyer table uh, in there in the foyer. So after we pray, if you need to stretch your legs, go to the restroom, get a drink, whatever, do that. And we'll be back in, say, about 10 minutes, okay? We'll come back in about 10 minutes uh, and conduct our quarterly business conference. Father, thank you for Jesus, who loved us so much. He was willing to leave the courts of heaven, to be clothed in human flesh, to suffer the humiliation of a life here in a sin-sick world to go to a cross to give his life to shed his blood so that we who are lost in trespasses and sins might be saved because his great act of atonement we will never be able to praise you enough, Father, for sending your Son. We will never be able to praise you enough, Jesus, for having been sent. We will never be able to praise you enough, Holy Spirit, for reminding us that it is because of the love of the Father and the desire of the Son that we are saved in Him. Bless us now. In the furtherance of this day and the activities that we'll engage in, that all we say, think, and do may be to the honor and to the glory of the true and living God. For I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Take a little bit of time and we'll meet back here in about ten minutes. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.